turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Morning, everybody. It is in the 11. It's a Saturday morning, 21 January 2023. Radio morning. Good old 710 KNUS Denver's talk station. The weather on a Saturday, mostly cloudy and 30, 10 degrees tonight and Sunday, 32 degrees. We got some rain Sunday and Monday. This is a real treat for me. Um, I was in my car and I heard an interview uh, done with this man, which I didn't think did him justice. Uh, he's a legend, and in our business, we're we're running out of them. And the book is entitled "Don't Bump the Record, Kid: My Adventures with Mark and Brian." But I don't have the book, so I haven't read the book. So what we've agreed upon is Mark will do the radio show with us before I read the book, and then I do a YouTube streaming show, and Mark can come back and do that with me as well. Hey, Mark, it's a real honor, man. I, uh, your life is something special. Welcome to Denver. Well, uh, kind of you, Peter, and I got to tell you, out of all the the media that I did throughout December and parts of January, you know, I talked to a lot of different, you know, hosts who do podcasts and wannabes. And, but when I talk to another radio person, nobody understands a radio person like a radio person. And, you know, it's like actors getting together, talking shop. It's uh, it's it's a comfortable place for me. And I appreciate you having me. Oh, you're kind. I, uh, I know you, everything, or say everything without reading the book, but I have a term that I call a radio guy. And in the radio world today, the demise of the radio guy. And now it's like, oh, you used to uh, be a contributor to Donald Trump. Well, you deserve a talk show. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, that kind of a thing. And I, I'm just floored by that. Your thoughts about that first? Uh, which part of it? You pick the disappearance of a radio guy. Well, um, I I can tell you that from the time that I was a kid, I fell in love with radio and what it was. And radio for me was a friend who I didn't know when I needed it. And so the love affair with it started then. And I got into it when I was 16. And I, I was so excited by all parameters of radio, like when I heard that the engineering department was going to install new microphones in all of the studios, I would be there uh, so that I could be the one chosen to test the microphones because a lot of people don't realize this, but when brand new radio broadcast equipment is plugged in for the first time, it has a smell to Mm -hmm. it. And it's almost like a drug that I got addicted to. And so when you say to me the term radio guy, that's who I am. And there are many like me that sadly were no longer needed. And, you know, I don't want to be the old guy yelling. I remember when radio was great, but like everything, it has to change. And it has. And I do agree with you. It, it, It is sad. Everything I built myself into being is no longer required, but I love to hear good radio people still out there doing it. Yeah, I, I, this is the one and only, and we'll tell the stories, but um, when I saw, when I heard you're, you on the air other place, and I thought, man, they're not doing this guy justice, 
the legend and Mark and Brian were legendary team radio and the title Don't Bump the Record. I heard you tell the story of why Don't Bump the Record's the title. This is so so radio. Tell if you would, Mark, please tell that story, how how the title comes yeah. about. Well, I can tell you I have to begin with the fact that what I fell in love with with right like I came from a small town, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. We had two top 40 radio stations and they both played the exact same songs, the same promotions, the same commercials, the whole thing. The one thing that attracted me were the jocks, the radio personalities. The station I listened to was W.O.W.L. And they had their jocks were hellions. Uh, I mean, they partied on the weekend and they would tell all the stories and, and they would pop in on each other's show. It was just addictive listening. Uh, the, the other station who played top four were WLAY, and they referred to their jocks as the good guys. Yeah. And they were they were perfect, and they all sounded like my father, and I hated it. Yeah. Uh, so for me on WOWL, the number one guy was Christopher J. Ballou. He did the afternoon show. And I would ride my bike up to the radio station and hang out in the lobby hoping to meet Christopher. And I would, I would hang out long enough to where, well, for example, they had the pictures of all the jocks up on the Mm -hmm. wall. And that was my first time to see Christopher. And I was hoping to meet him, but they would always kick me out and I'd have to leave. But then they started advertising that my, my hero, Christopher, who was going to broadcast live from a shopping center near my house. And so I, I rode my bike up there. There was obviously a good crowd. And this was back in the day when a jock would broadcast live. They would literally bring yeah. a giant console with two turntables, the microphone, the whole work. So they would literally broadcast from that thing. So there he was, my hero. He's sitting right there. This is my first time to see him. And without realizing it, I started walking toward him. And I'm 10. At this point, I'm 10 years old and I got near the console, the, the turntable, and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, hey, don't bump the record, kid. Love it. And my, those are words my hero spoke to me. And little did I know that five years from that moment, I would work at W.O.W.L. alongside Christopher J. Ballou. And what was you like? I never told him that story, but. The lesson for me, because Christopher was great at what he did, and I thought it was he made it sound so effortless. I thought, but I watched him prepare every day for his show, hours he would spend. And I realized then that being good at anything takes work and preparation and dedication. And I learned that at the age of 16. It is it is. I can't explain this business to people who, I don't know how this works, if you haven't really been on the inside and seen the people who, I would say the people who raised me. And I was raised by the top 40 jocks. I was raised by the guys. We mentioned it earlier this morning. They went through the scandals, the payola, plugola stuff, that they had worked in Detroit and worked in Cleveland and New York City. And they, they told stories, and they taught you stuff. I used to have a gag that I would go to work with a mask and a gun to learn how to do radio. And yep. they took you to school. 
but you had to be able to sit there and pay attention. And today, that bounces off of everybody. These these guys knew stuff. Who who taught you? Um, in, in in a greater sense, Mark, who taught you? To be honest, Peter, I, uh, other than one guy, um, uh, you know, I did the traveling town to town radio road thing, and other than one program director, no one taught me anything but me. Um, I listened to all the other jocks that I worked with. I listened to all the jocks across town. And I, I didn't learn what to do. Not to do. I learned what not what not uh, to indeed. do. And that's the most yes. valuable. Um, but, you know, Peter, you sit there and you talk about what radio, what, look, one of the reasons that 50s television was so great is because it was live. There is there is an electric like you and I right now, Peter, we're live. We're live on the air. And there is an electricity that comes with doing something absolutely live. There's nothing like it. Nothing compares to it. And sadly, the majority of our local radio these days is pre-taped and pre-taped is perfect. And it sounds nice, and it is what it is. But I used to love hearing a jock screw up <laughs> because it, it. One of the things that we as human beings have in common is that we make mistakes, and I loved it. And I don't. I, I just am in love with a live radio broadcast. It has a, an odor to it, a smell to it, oh, yeah. an electricity to it. We can't replace it. Now you walk in a room and you can feel it. I've told people you, that you absolutely there's there's yeah. no question you you can't know it unless you've done it it um the book don't bump the record uh, my adventures mark and brian in california yeah. our guest is brian thompson and i hope our agreement is he'll do the our youtube with us when i get a chance to read the book but i'm trying to write a book um and i have people look at different things they go that really didn't happen did it and i always go mm-hmm. you know i kind of toned it down you know, yeah. and and so w- maybe it's overstated when when radio was, but like I said, I I, I got my fr- I worked, I was a traffic reporter, I read the news, you know, did all those things, but in the mob lexicon, it's called making your bones. You know, you got you got your button, and I certainly r- know that you did that. You know, you 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 took those steps, and I don't know what's missing there now. Your thoughts. I'm sorry, the, the well, last part broke up. I said, so, you know, like, we we got our buttons, as they say, you know, in, in, in the mob, you got made, you got your bones, and you did those things, and, and, and indeed, I, I understand that, you know, going up and down the road, different different cities and different towns and working, but there was still something about you couldn't do anything else but. And, yeah. and what, what are we watching today is where I, where I get to. Uh, well... The, the the best thing that I can say as far as what made me in radio, when I first got in, I wanted to be the best disc jockey that I could. And so I started watching and listening and learning and, you know, basically doing a, a radio show as a disc jockey. Mm-hmm. You follow the format. We all have a clock that we have to follow. I would come out of the, the, the station ID at the top of the hour. I would read the card and play the record. I would come out of the record, read the card, and hit the commercial. Yeah. And it didn't take me very long to be a, a good jock. And frankly, I was bored. Yeah. 
Um, I, I was good at it and I was really, really bored with it. And I started to look for something else. I started to wonder, is this it? And at this time I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, working for a radio station named WRJZ. And the program director was a guy named Bob Kagan. And at, at, uh, at WRJZ, all of the jocks were great because Bob Kagan had taught them how to be great personalities. And the funny thing about Bob is that he was the most boring, soft-spoken person I've ever been around. A nightmare for him was a social gathering because he had nothing to say. He could not do radio from a personality standpoint himself, but he could teach you how to. So. My shift, I was the music director and I did the all night shift and two to 6 a.m. And one Saturday I had to do a weekend shift and I was doing it. It was a Saturday afternoon. This is 1979. And the movie Superman was the big movie, the big thing. And so this is what I'm going to describe to you is uncharacteristic of me at that time. I came out of the record. I must have been in a good mood. I came out of the record and I said, uh, 62 WRJZ, this is Mark Thompson. So I know that most of you are either going to Superman or you're coming home from it. So now for you on this squeaky chair that I'm forced to sit in, I'm going to perform the entire Superman soundtrack (laughs) for you. Here we go. So I squeaked around on the chair for five seconds and I hit the commercial. Now, the door opens, and Peter, as you know, radio stations are empty on the weekend. There's nobody there but the jock. Uh, The door to the control room opened, and it's Bob Kagan, and he's standing there staring at me. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what have I done? Because this is not the kind of thing I would normally do. I would read the card and play the record. Uh, This is the kind of something I would do for my friends in my apartment to to get a smile. Kagan is staring at me and he said, from now on, every time you open the mic, I want something as creative and as entertaining as that was. And he left. And I I, I was processing what it meant when he said that to me. And what he was saying is, I want you to be yourself. Stop reading the cards. Stop playing the be you and it changed that moment well i think i was looking for something that moment changed me as a person it changed the trajectory of my entire career it changed my life uh it woke me up and i fell in love with a whole different division of radio that i didn't even really know existed per se or how to do it but that taught me and it and i made a rule in that moment from then on whatever radio show i did was going to be completely me and my rule was if i think it's funny it goes on the air if i think it's interesting it goes on the air and if you didn't think it was funny and if you didn't think it was interesting as a listener you were going to leave and i didn't care My point was finding people who thought I was funny and who thought I was interesting. That becomes your fan base. And with that one rule, I built a Hall of Fame radio career. You certainly did. 
the, the book again, Don't Bump the Record Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian. We'll do that as a YouTube show, but he's certainly a, this great guest this morning. He's the highlight of the show. Um, when I, myself, and you have those moments, and there's an awful lot of guys that would step in and gone the other way on you at that moment. I, the first jock job I had was Cat Radio, KAAT, 50,000 watt daytimer, and it was an MOR. And I'm playing Engelbert Humperdinck, and I'm playing, you know, Montavani does the Beatles, and you had the cue cards, <laughs> you, you know, you, you know the drill, right? And they yeah, and, and they would oh for sure, and they would they would scratch the cuts you shouldn't play, you couldn't play them on the air because the music director, whomever that was at the time, would scratch out, and um, and I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm I'm working in this business that I'd fall, backdoored into, I. Would have never thought I was going to be in the business. All of a sudden, I'm in the business, and I'm just loving it. And I'm around some really some amazing people. But there there had to be. And then I met my mentor Bob Lee, and I went through a team thing in my life. And um, and it, and teams are tough. Teams in radio are really tough. Yeah. And there's a book that I recommend to people, and I have friends, and it's in, it's it's called Bud and Lou by Tommy Thompson about why teams in comedy work and why they don't work. And he has Abbott Costello. He has um, Bud and Lou. Uh, he has, uh, obviously, the Stooges, uh, Jerry Lewis, you know, and Dean Martin, and why they worked and why they didn't work. And I was in a team situation with a remarkable guy, mentor, and it came to the moment where I had to get away. Um, and and it's like breaking up a team. You In a team, and you had an incredible team. I mean, how many... How many syndicated jobs were you on? How many how many stations were, were Mark and Brian on? Uh, I think at the at the peak of it, we were on like thirty. Wow, thirty uh, thirty wow. stations. Wow. But you know, you talk about uh, teams, uh, and and I can tell you, having done twenty seven years with Brian, it is very much like a marriage. Oh. Uh, working with someone on an equal level, equal say, equal pay kind of a thing where you both have to agree or it doesn't happen. And David Lee Roth was on the show, oh, the wow. singer of uh, Van Halen. And he told a story that I think sums it up what happened to Brian and I. And I think it happens to a lot of teams. Uh, David said we would be in some town in another hotel, in another venue. And we're going to do a show that night and we're sitting in the hotel room, all of us, and we're eating room service again. Mm -hmm. And I would look over at Eddie and I would say, you know what, man, I hate the way you chew. Yeah. And, and it, and, and it really sums up what it's like to be with someone for, for 27 yep. years. Cause it's true. Familiarity breeds contempt. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, 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 it just like you said, Peter. You said a, a, a couple of words there. You said I had to get away. I had to get away. Um, yeah. At at one point, it just kind of like a marriage. It ceases to work. Whatever it was that made you great has changed or morphed or or, or just it's no longer there. And and while I say that what made Brian and I great was our ability to complete each other. Like you, like I mentioned in the book, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and you just brought it yeah. up. Dean Martin was a wonderful singer, but he wasn't funny. Jerry Lewis was hysterical, but he couldn't sing. 
uh, uh, separately, they were both very good, but you put them together and they made history. And it was that kismet. And they also had the same run in. Dean Martin couldn't oh. stand Jerry. Oh. Jerry couldn't stand Dean. And, you know, at one point they had to go away. They had to separate. And it, it, it makes it very difficult because what made Brian and I magical at the beginning was that we could complete each other's sentences. When we were talking about something that we were thinking of doing on the air that was completely stupid and very Letterman-esque, we could literally come up with brilliance in 10 seconds. And when we lost our ratings, our number one position, our ratings fell and we fell. We lost that ability to communicate and complete each other's sentences. In essence, uh, we hated the way each other chewed. Yeah, yeah. I um, in in that book, and if you ever get a moment, it's called Bud and Lou. And the reason I would love to oh, read it's that. great. It's I mean, it's to me when I, I I didn't read it to after I had broken off of a team, and I went, well, yeah, sure. And he made the case why Laurel and Hardy worked was, I think Stan Laurel lived in L.A. and Oliver Hardy lived in San Francisco. I've been many many years. And one loved the opera and fine art, and the other loved the track and showgirls, and they stayed apart. And it was um, it was like Hal Roach, I think, would call, "We're going to make a film, or we're going to do this, we're going to do that." And then they'd read. They loved each other to death, but they were. T- and the same with the Stooges. That Mo Howard uh, was the older brother, made all the business decisions, and and Curly was Curly, and you know, and Larry Fine loved the track and loved the showgirls, and. Then they pull them together and they do what they had to do, whereas Ab and Costello, in the end, wouldn't even talk to each other on a movie set. And and uh, you know Dean and Jerry and they literally wouldn't talk to one another. And I I looked back and I said I remember that feeling like, um, you know, and, and I, I I'm I'm an alcoholic and an addict and I've been sober for for quite a while. But that played out in all of those things and and it's 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 entitled Blood, Bud and Lou and. Um, and anybody that's in team radio, and I have some friends that have been through some team experiences, and they ask me, and I always say, read this book. And the, and the yeah. answer clearly was, you, you spend, I said, you spend more time with your partner than you do in your marriage. That's true. And, it's absolutely true. And then, boy, the money and everything that goes with it. The, the, I, had thing, I had this thing when uh, I got a first hit show I was on was with my mentor, Bob Lee. I really did not know how to act. Seriously, I mean, I, I, I was this, um, I, I, had, I had this gift that I could do radio, but I wasn't trained to do radio, and I, I come back full circle. Was anybody ever trained, do you think, to, to do this job, Mark? I think you, look, you can learn the ins and outs, and I, I mentioned it before, the formatics, the clock that you have to follow, and I think that what what happened with me is what should happen for any young radio person. You sit in there and you go on the air and you follow the clock and you learn. I've always told anybody, if you want to learn how to do something, do it because you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from those and you'll get better and better and better. And every now and then you'll get a little bit of advice, but for the most part, you got to sit in there and you got to go through it and you teach yourself. I used to record every single word that I spoke on the air. I did it for years. 
and I would cut out the music and the commercials, the and I would listen to the tape. The yeah, skimmers. yeah, skimmers. And I would I would listen to the tape oh. on the drive home. It would take about fifteen minutes. Yep. Yep. And when I did something that was good on the air, I already knew it. But what I learned the most from was what not to do. Like I would be listening to a phone call I had taken and I was on the air trying to get a big laugh to get out of it into a commercial. And I waited too long. And I went in this phone call. I'm sitting there listening and I'm bored. I'm the one that did it and I'm bored. And I learned, get out. Get out on the first giggle you got. Get out and, and, and stop waiting for the big one. The, the point is, uh, I always learned what not to do, and I taught yeah. that to myself. No one can teach you better than you can. Yeah. I always called it land the plane. Land the plane. I mean, there, there, yeah. I have a short question, land the plane, then turn it over to you. Um, yeah. And but I, I need to do a, t- a couple of quick breaks. Um, can, I put, can I put you on hold and, and bring you right back, if you would? Uh, the book. Like I said, I have, I have not read it, and I want to read folks' books. Don't bump the don't bump the record, kid. I love the line. My adventures with Mark and Brian, and uh, Mark Thompson is with us. Seven ten K in US. Are you sick and tired of living constant pain in your knees and or your back? I have a friend who just went through this. Joint pain doesn't just keep you from doing what you love. It affects your job, your relationships, even simple things like getting dressed. Hi, it's time to call QC Kinetics. QC Kinetics uses advanced regenerative medicine to restore, repair. Damage joint tissue and give your life back. Hips, shoulders, elbows that can all be treated with natural biologics and these, these biologics from your own body. Powerful healing agents, highly concentrated. If you're tired of steroid shots that don't work or trying to avoid surgery, call QC Kinetics now. These are our guys. Schedule a free consultation. Learn about this exciting new cutting-edge treatments for pain caused by arthritis or injury. No drugs, no, no pain meds, no downtime. All natural treatment that can get you lasting relief. People are raving about the results. Call now. Appointments available coming this week. Call QC Kinetics, 303-900-8986, 303-900-8986. Please do yourself a favor. Call for a friend even who knows that you know they're in trouble. 303-900-8986, 303-900-8986. everyone. 29 minutes before the noon, and our guest will be with us on our YouTube show Later, I think in about a week, he's going to come back and do the YouTube show. It's going to be cloudy today and 30 degrees. Tomorrow, Sunday, 32 and snow and 28 on Monday, back to work. I'm Peter Boyles. This is Radio Free Denver, good old 710 KNUS. And I've talked about this before. I'm an old guy. And I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, I saw the ad for Dr. Julie McCallum. She had opened her clinic, Cynogenics. And I invited her on a radio show. And I can't tell you why, but it saved my life. She is the most wonderful person. It's kept me healthy. Imagine a world where you're not just another number, where your doc knows everything about you and spends time discovering what's necessary to keep you going. And I ride my motorcycle and I ski, and I turn 80 this year. And the guidance and support from Cenogenics, skiing, riding a bike, exercising every day, full of energy. Life is too short. Your health is too precious. And she's the best. Dr. Watt, Dr. McCallan, don't settle for, for just being that way. Long waits, test results. I'm doing a blood test this week. These are the best. Expect the best. Cenogenics. Call 720-302-2992. 720-302-2992. Ask for Michelle. Longtime Denver Cenogenics.com. C-E-N-E-G-E-N-I-C-S.com. 720-302-2992. This is a real treat for me. Um, I'm a fan uh, to talk to somebody else that's been through all of this. Don't bump the record, kid. My adventures with Mark and Brian. Brian Thompson is with us. 
when everybody asks about different things that happen with people when they're with a big star, somebody's in the studio with you. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, but what did you think? Did were there were there people that you met that you wish you had never met? Um, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> we uh, on the on the program we had lots of guests, some of the very biggest names in the business: um, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Anthony Hopkins. Um, and they were incredible. And there was one guy, and I write about this in the book. And by the way, Peter, after having spoken to you, uh, you're a genuine, true radio guy. And once you get a copy of my book, you are you are going to eat every word <laughs> because this book was written by a radio guy for a yeah. radio guy. So for you, this is going to be reading porn. Can You're going to really enjoy uh, this. Thank anyway, you. anyway, um, I am a big, huge fan, always have been, of Christopher Walken. Mm. And I couldn't, he was going to be on the show. He was coming in to promote Batman, where he played uh, the mayor, Max Shrek. And I was really excited to meet him uh, because I just adored him as, a, as an actor and I couldn't wait for it. And I knew that he could be quirky, but, but I thought that that could work to our advantage. And so he was coming in. And traditionally, when we took a break, Brian would always leave the room to go do whatever he did. And in that five minutes, the, the guest would be brought in, and it was my job um, to kind of make them feel comfortable. Can I get you anything? Do you need coffee, water? What, you know, just sure. try to get them comfortable because yeah. the, the more comfortable they are, the better interview that you, the listener are going to get. So the producer, Ted brought Christopher in and he sat down, he was three feet from me and, and he's sitting there and I, and I started well, you know, Christopher, thank you for coming. Can you, can, can I get you coffee or water or what? And, and he looked at me and he said, could you stop talking please? Ooh. And yeah. And I, I looked at him thinking maybe he was joking. He wasn't. So I, I, I stopped talking. And those of you that, that aren't in radio, you wouldn't know this, but the studio monitors, which are these giant speakers, we hang them from the ceiling because they're so big and, and we try to get them off the floor to make room. And after I had gone silent because he asked me to, we the com the commercials were playing through the speakers. Christopher pointed to the speaker and he said, "Could you turn this off, please?" <laughs> so the board op did that, and so now, since I've been asked to stop talking and he wants the room silent, we sat for five minutes in complete silence. And once we got on the air, it didn't matter how praising the question that I asked was Christopher was just not having it. Um, he, he just did not want to be there and it lasted about 60 seconds. I gave the movie a plug and I got him out and I, I, a lot of people, and I'm guessing at this, but I know for a fact that actors have a contract, a, a thing in their, <laughs> in their contract that states that they must promote the film. And the only thing that I can think is that Christopher just didn't want to do this promotion or us or that day he was just in a mood. But he was 
absolutely not in a good mood at all. He wasn't having it, and he bolted from the room the yeah. moment I dismissed him. So, so yeah, I wish I hadn't seen that side of him, but I still love him. Yeah. One of the great actors. Have you ever, you ever have anybody mid the interview get up and walk out? I, I've kicked a few out. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had one yeah. leave, just just outwardly leave. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, wait. Let me take that back. And I put this in the book. Robert Blake. Oh, man. Uh, Robert Blake was the actor who played Beretta sure. back in the, the 70s. And we had Robert on a couple of times. And he was fantastic. You talk about, I mean, just it's why Carson always had him on mm -hmm. because he was such a great guest. Exact same thing with us. He came in, he was telling stories, he was telling jokes. He was, he was just, Peter, you know this, he was just a great oh. guest and you would always have him back. So one day we're, we're sitting, we're doing the show. And my producer, Ted, comes in and he and he stares at me and he goes, this is weird. And I said, what? He said, Robert Blake is in the green room. Now, the reason that made it odd is because Robert was not scheduled. Yeah. He had not been invited and he was neck deep in troubles concerning his, his wife. wife. Yeah, sure. And and yet he has shown up and he wants to go on the air. So I, I assessed it really quickly and I thought that this could be something either really weird or incredible, whatever it is, uh, give me a minute, let me find a slot and, and we'll have him come in. And about 20 minutes later, I told Ted, okay, go get him. We're ready. Ted left. And then he came back very quickly and he said, Robert's gone. Man. He left. Man. So the only thing I can think is that he he started rethinking mm -hmm. going on the air, knowing his attorney yeah. would not want him to say anything. So, yeah, yeah, Robert walked out, but not physically on us. He just left before he got in the room. The book, Don't Bump the Record, Kid, My Adventures with Mark and Brian, with us and the legend, Mark Thompson. We will do the YouTube shoot show. I will get the book. And like I said, I, I love people telling radio stories, and I – you know, and one of my favorite movies is Radio Days with, with Woody Allen's film. And he does that the whole backdrop of the radio shows in the 30s and first part of the 40s. My mentor, again, Bob Lee, worked in radio in uh, Detroit. And he was, he, he was in Challenge of the Yukon and the Lone Ranger shows. And he was full of those stories, just great stories about when they were radio actors. And, you know, before Top 40, then Top 40 comes along and... Uh, Dick Clark had done a book called Rock, Roll, and Remember, and I did a I did a with him by phone. Dick Clark was just this great interview. I mean, he was he was one of us, maybe more so. Yeah. And yes, but I I had this thing that I I've, I've chased around, and I don't know if it holds up or not. The bigger the name guy, generally the better they are because they don't seem to have to prove anything. But there's like this middle of the stick someplace. Boy, they're demanding. They're this. They're that. And then you can. Then there you're sitting on the show with this guy, and you're going, "What do I do next?" So, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm sure. Fill into that if you would, please. Um, yeah, you know, we did. We had some of the absolute biggest names, and what you say is true. 
Um, it may be that they don't have anything to prove. Mm. Tom Cruise could not have been greater. Yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson could not have yes. been greater. Anthony Hopkins, like I said, could not. Tony Curtis, uh, Charlton Me Heston, too. We a, had them all, yep. and they were, they yep. were incredible. Um, we had, and this won't be a shock or a surprise to anybody, He, uh, we had um, uh, Gary Busey. Yeah come in now gary Busey. i understand he had a a motorcycle accident and it it caused us some brain damage and and so forth and but i mean if you want to see gary Busey when he was great watch the buddy holly story he was nominated for an academy award it was incredible work um gary came in um and and he was in a bad mood because the limousine that we sent him was not a stretch and he we sent him uh, an suv but apparently he wanted a stretch and he was Mm. just so pissed off about that and yeah i mean it's just you know it's funny you know he was displeased with the limousine that we sent Mm. he wanted a bigger one and i'm thinking to myself are you aware you're gary Busey? yeah uh, but but yeah, I mean, you run into some of that, but uh, Peter, it it wasn't very often. It was I, I can no, really great. only think of yeah. that one. The first, the first big two big stars I was around uh, were Steve Allen and Dolly Parton. And Steve Allen, when he came in, and I'm like this lay down Steve Allen guy because we grew up on Steve Allen on, when he did the Late Show, and he brought a little um, tape recorder with him. And he was appearing here in a play. And he, I mean, he was just really gracious. He was great. And he tape recorded everything, you know, that we did. He was, he, and I, so it was over. And I said, Mr. Allen, can I ask you why you taped it? He said, yeah, because people take me out of context and they use it against me. And I later found out that his, one of his children, I think it was a son, was in a cult. And um, oh, wow. he was trying to get the kid deprogrammed or what was going on. But, and then uh, we had Dolly Parton. And, um, I mean, literally tens of hundreds of people showed up in the parking lot of the radio station. And we were working for some guy who said, uh, we're going to all get in a semicircle here, all the jocks, and we're going to get Dolly to her limo. And she turned around. She said, stop. She said, these people out here, and I don't know how many people were in the lot. She said, they are the reason everything I have, I have. And yeah. she, she, honest to God, Mark, she went out in there, and that was before phone cameras or, you know, those throwaway box cameras she took pictures with people and i'm standing on the steps and i'm watching that i'm going and i saw john elway the broncos quarterback um at training camp you know every cameras are all gone and he's in a golf cart and he's tired and uh, these kids came up to him with a football and he sat there and he signed the football and he talked to the talked to those kids nobody saw it i i was in a broadcast trailer and i saw it and i thought wow you know so that's the kind of stuff and uh you know, when you get that, well, let me, let me, yeah. Peter, let, let me tell you my Dolly Parton story because because she she is one of she's beyond a, a country star. Dolly Parton is one of our great icons. She's Agreed. given like fifty billion dollars to charity and and so forth. And and I love this. And I wrote this in the book. You'll see it, Peter, when you get it. She was uh, scheduled for the show. She was coming in and she was late. 
So we came out of the commercial break and we didn't play music. So we started explaining Mm -hmm. that Dolly's not quite here yet. She's on her way. And as we're saying that the door opened and Dolly comes in and she plops down in the chair and she said, and I quote, boys, I'm so sorry I'm late, but it takes a long time to look this cheap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This may be one of her standard jokes, but I'd never heard it, and I fell out. I and and I loved her, and she it was, uh, you know, she's Dolly Parton. So everybody in the radio station that worked there came to get a picture and get an and she signed it all. Yes, she 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 is an icon because she is an icon. You know, I, I you know this is so wonderful. I mean, I feel such a kinship listening to you speak because. You know, we've both kind of driven down that highway, and I always thought that about her. I, you know, later, you know, you see her on TV, and I tell, hey, people, you know, and she had just broken from Porter Wagner, and we're doing a country morning show, and she was, you you can't say how gracious she really was, and she came in and did the radio show with us, and, you know, and and told off-color jokes, and and I thought, wow, you're the real deal, and she really was. I, I need to take one more pause, and we'll bring it right back. Uh, the book, and we will do this on our television show, The Shoot. Don't bump the record, kid. My adventures with Mark and Brian. Uh, Danny Kaplis's law firm. It's 1146, everybody. Kaplis's firm. Danny believes that he's the only lawyer, by the way, in Colorado history to win five straight multimillion-dollar jury verdicts in motor vehicle crash cases. Danny and all his partners, he's got these guys that used to be DAs and are all working on the job. Tremendous courtroom experience helping survivors of serious crashes, and the Kaplis Law Firm believes talks cheap, experience counts, and results matter, the firm would be happy to share with you its track record of outstanding jury verdicts, out-of-court settlements. Danny believes that if you who you hire says a lot about who you are, and they suggest you choose a firm that, that values and shares your value. He is my friend. We went through some family stuff, and I can't tell you how, how wonderful Danny was. The firm believes in core values of the foundation of historic success, faith, integrity, hard work, and dedication. If you need something answered, you're going through a jam, call 303 907 503 303 907 503 303 this jockey, Mark Thompson, with us, and we're talking. I got to tell you something, Mark. One of the guys came in out of the newsroom, uh, Jeff Hildebrand, who's an old radio hand, and uh, he was with Burt Reynolds for years, and uh, he always told great Burt Reynolds stories. He had a Burt Reynolds line. He said, "He said, guys say to me, he said, they'd give 10 years of their life to have my memories, <laughs> Burt and women. But, <laughs> but he came in, he said, this man's telling my life story, and he's sitting here with the cans on. But you are. You're telling the life story of of, of so many of us. Um, and I can't wait to get you back, and I can't wait to read the book. Did you, did, you, did you pitch? Did you sell on the air? Did you sell live stuff on the air? Um, we did a little bit of it. Not much um, because, uh, you know, these days I see uh, television and radio, and, and I see – a lot of uh, personal endorsement. And I was real, real picky about who I personally endorsed uh, and what product I personally endorsed. So um, I said no more than I said yes. 
Um, I find that when it comes to things like that, um, like I always tried to be myself when I was on the air 100%. And when I was pitched a product, if I didn't firmly believe in that product, I couldn't endorse it. Uh, and, And so, as I said, I said no more than yes. But yeah, I did some of it, not a ton. And again, I was raised by these guys out of the 40s and 50s that they were they were pitch men. And I don't know if people know you hear that term and people don't know what that means, but they pitched. They they sold. They were wonderful. Oh, sure. at it. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're gonna- and, and, and Peter, Peter, before we go, any, let me let me tell you a real quick radio story. And this is one of my favorites. Um, I worked with a girl uh, actually about five, six years ago. Her name is Gina Grad. Her father is an old radio veteran sports guy named Steve Grad. And Steve worked for the great KFI in Los Angeles. And his signature sign-off at the end of his sportscast, he would say, Steve Grad, sports! Ah, and he love would it. yell it yes. like that. The, the true story is that when, when Steve was doing his sports, he was in a studio booth by himself. And the engineers were in the next studio, and they never listened to Steve. So whenever he was trying to take a commercial break at the end of his sports, he would have to yell the word sports so the engineers would realize that his broadcast was over and to hit the commercial. Steve Grad, sports! Yeah. Oof. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I haven't had this much fun uh, in a long, long time, and again with Jeff in here, and so many guys, send, old friends of mine, sending text messages, and you know, old rate, old radio guys. And um, yeah, listen, I know you're coming back with us. Uh, you, you, you made the morning. It, Mark, thank you. It was, it was. I hope you enjoyed Peter, it as much as I did. Peter, look, let me tell you something. Talk to your producer. He will get in touch with Laura, who helps me. She will get you the book. Uh, you're going to absolutely adore it. I look forward to the YouTube conversation. Thanks, and I got to I got to tell you something. I heard you say in one of your live spots that you're 80. Yeah. My God, I'm going to take every pill <laughs> that you're taking because, dude, you sound uh, 30. You're kind. Cannot, you're a, gee, no, I'm not kind. I'm being honest. We're going to hit the you wall. You be dead by now. Yeah, and, and, and many times came close. Brian, love you, man. Thank you. See you in a week. That is it, everybody. Blake Gallagher, one of your best shows.